Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim today, and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve those brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk to our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Hey, everyone. Uh, Super, super excited for today's episode. Another ecosystem episode. Uh, I am Noah Rahimzadeh, as you all know, joined by Mariah. Um, We have Dan Caldwell joining us from our very, very great partner in Clavio. He's Senior Strategic Partner Manager. Um, With that, I will pass over to Dan for a super quick intro. uh, And then, um, yeah, we'll go from there. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So my name is Dan Caldwell working at Clavio. I manage our integration partnerships here. I've been here coming up on two years at Clavio. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Definitely want to get more into the career path up to this point and role at Clavio. But before we do that, the audience knows we, we always like to talk about uh, career progression to date. What got you here? But before we get there, even, I just want to say Dan and I go actually way back. Uh, well, not way back, but before my time at Malomo, Dan and I met in person uh, in San Francisco. And it was like right as things were opening up from yeah. the post-COVID world. San Francisco was not in the greatest shape then. Um, <laughs> um, hopefully it's gotten a little bit better today. I haven't been there since, I don't think. Um but yeah, I was at Movable Inc. at the time. So we worked together in that capacity and super, super happy that we get to continue the partnership. I think we're closer now than we were then. So <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a good ride up to this point. And we got him on the podcast now. So yeah. things are obviously going well. Yeah, it was, it was a fun day in San Francisco. I think that was one of my first partner meetings since lockdown. And yeah. It was because, in you know, I was part of the mass migration from urban life to suburban life. I had a bit of a trek to get in there, but I'm like, I got to go visit with partners in person. Oh, my God. Made it in there. Yeah. A little, little quiet in the city, um, but I've been in San Francisco since. The, the spirit is back in the city. Right. It was a little quiet that day, but the rebound is strong. I'm very, very happy to hear that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was dark and gloomy, both in like, uh, <laughs> in the Econ- or like the environmental nature, but also like yeah. the, oh, the fog's still there. The fog's yeah. still there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'll ever go away. You know, spiritually there's sunshine though. Right, so. exactly. Yeah. I'm super happy to hear that. Um, well, yeah, man. Thank you so much for for coming on, spending some time with us. Um, like I said, I'd love to get into your career progression to date and um, what you're doing, what you're up to these days at at Clavio. Yeah, totally. So career progression, let me go back a little bit. I I started my career, um, well, very early on managing some small businesses. Uh, My first tech job was in the ad tech world, um, doing customer support. So shout out to everybody who is in customer support role right now. 
where I just learned so much about the customer, so much about the product. Um, and then after a year and a half, two years of that, I was able to transition into a partnership role um, in supporting um, some partners there, did all different types of partnerships from e-com platforms to like large API resellers and then technology partnerships similar to ours. Um, and I loved technology partnerships. <laughs> saw a role open up at Clavio that was 100% dedicated to that type of partnership. So, um, and Clavio is doing pretty well. So jumped on the opportunity, joined when it was a team of one. Um, and then we are now a team of nine. So a lot of investment, a lot of growth in partners. We And that's just, sorry to interrupt. That's just <clears throat> on the tech partner side. Yes. Got it. Yeah. So um, global presence um, from in director level, we brought on partner development reps um, and then just my colleagues. Um, um, expanding the team globally, London, Australia, and expanding in the United States. So that's been exciting. And then when I joined Clavia, we had 100 integrations, and now I think we have 265. And so wow. um, a lot of growth, a lot of launches during those times. So it's been a fun ride. Very cool. And um, for you specifically, what partner, uh, how, how do you delineate like partner managers and, and directors like owning? Is it by region? Is it by um, sector, like how do you, and then what's your area of expertise? Yeah, a little bit of all of the above, um, <laughs> but it's always gray areas with this stuff. And yeah. so, um, some categories, some um, geo, and so we have our folks over in the London office, and so we'll split up. And, and any like headquarter partners, they'll manage there. But also have some partners that are maybe based in the U.S. but have a strong presence in those markets, and so we'll tag team those. Um, and so base. Um, London or Australia, we could split up that way, but then it's also vertical based. And so um, I will do our shipping platforms um, like this partnership here. Um, also our help desk, ad tech, uh, returns. Gosh, I'm probably forgetting one, but um, <laughs> I've also done every single category at one time um, in my career at Clavio. And so I'm, I'm familiar with um, you know the, the full range of partnerships that we have. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, it, I I've noticed like the more, uh, the more focused approach at Clavio. Like I've, like I said, we've known each other going back a couple of jobs, but I've been, uh, in and around the Clavio ecosystem to some degree for the last three or four jobs of mine. And I've definitely noticed a difference and a shift in like, uh, the more, more focused approach on the partner side. And I feel like it's been a great, uh, a great value add to partners and like just the broader Clavio ecosystem, to be honest with you. Do you feel that? Absolutely. A lot more focus and investment on the tech partner side from Clavio. Uh, we could probably get into the details of why, but our tech partners just feed into like the core of what makes Clavio valuable. And I think that's always been understood um, by executives and a lot of people at Clavio, but the awareness of it um, and just how much it could mean to our customers and the way it helps them grow their business, stick around with Clavio as well. Um, it makes a big impact. Um, and so uh, Clavio has been seeing that. So we've been investing more into it. That's a, that's a perfect transition. Um, uh, appreciate the background on the career so far. I'd now like to shift focus to Clavio overall. Um, I think I would imagine that literally 100% of our listeners are familiar <laughs> with Clavio, just in case there's one or two who aren't. Um, can you just give us a super high level overview of the platform? We'll obviously get more nitty gritty, but overview of the platform, uh, the problem it solves and, and who it's built for, who's like the ICP. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Klaviyo is a combination of a CDP, an ESP, and an SMS provider um, in marketing automation. And so what we do is we ingest data from multiple different sources, from whether it's your Shopify store or other e-com platform, and then a lot of the other technology in our tech stack, um, and then use that technology to build in a um, automation layer. So you can send programmatically really personalized messages, email, SMS, push notifications, and also things like outbound web hooks. And so they could push data wherever you want to power other channels. Very cool. Yeah, I, I noticed the, obviously saw the launch of Clavia One this year and, and yeah. getting more into the, the CDP space. Um, another great transition here because I I don't think that I've heard of a, any other ESPs describing themselves as a CDP on top mm -hmm. of an ESP or vice versa um, and yep. sort of combining that offering. Uh, I know that Clavio is obviously always focused on the data side. You mentioned it, and I'd love for you to talk more about how uh, technology partnerships feed into that data first approach. Uh, but with the you know plethora of ESP offerings, messaging uh, overall platforms, like you mentioned SMS as well, um, how would you say Clavio has been able to build you know such a stronghold in the Shopify ecosystem? You know, I think about the investment that from Shopify earlier this year was obviously a, a major, major uh, was major news in in our ecosystem. So, how do you think that that Clavio has been able to get to this point? Yeah, I think it all starts around the CDP aspect. And I'll first say, like, you know, CDP is a category that isn't particularly well defined. And mm -hmm. so um, we serve as the CDP for a lot of our merchants. And I could get into a little bit of that um, and why that's been a big part of our success. But at least on the technology partnership side, we also have great partnerships and integrations with other CDPs. Um, and so there's there's overlap there. There's different definitions of what a CDP is. But at the end of the day, um, we're the CDP for a lot of our merchants. Um, the big reason why, and this kind of feeds into the success and how we stood out um, as an ESP, because you know, email's been around for a long time, well before Clavio was ever established, but uh, Clavio is actually built not as a uh, ESP. We didn't start off by sending emails and SMS. We actually started as a database company. And I actually uh, did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, our founders, Ed and AB, uh, they built a database company and they found a really good way to layer on some databases to make it easy to ingest data from all different sources, go from the eagle eye view down to the single object level in a very uh, fast and effective way. Um, after a while, they asked customers, hey, what are you actually using this database for? And they said, oh, we're pushing it into our ESPs to send really personalized good emails. And they're like, oh, and then they built email. On top of <laughs> um, and then SMS as well. So um, that's what separated us because a lot of our competition earlier on started like, hey, how can I make it really easy to send like a good looking email? We took the reverse approach of how can we get as much data as we can into a platform and automate that data to power really good emails. Um, now, you know, the, the good, you know, the quick and easy ones, they're, they're working their way down on the data front, but I think it might be a little bit easier kind of when you start with that core foundation on the data side of things. Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I had no idea that it started uh, as a database company first. Always great when you can sort of, uh, you know, find some product market fit and then realize that what you're doing is actually like 
tangentially valuable, like in this other sort of realm. And I think for, for um, email purposes, right? Like it's a very cost-effective channel. So it makes a lot of sense that that would have been the the next, um, the next progression in the offering. Uh, I'm always curious about these things might be somewhat of a selfish topic, but there's this as you and I know very well, Dan, like the channel conflict uh, that lives uh, within our day-to-days almost every day. Um, You mentioned that you also have CDP partners, but you were founded as a database company. Now you've gone to market around, you know, as you position yourself as a CDP, like how do you think about collaboration with the other CDPs in the space? And I know that's such a broad term, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of platforms that could fall under the CDP bucket, maybe some who say that they are and really aren't. So <laughs> how, would you, how would you kind of describe that working relationship and partnerships in that space? Yeah, absolutely. I, it is the perks I would take with all channel conflict because um, it, this happens in our ecosystem and we have some of my best partnerships and relationships that I have in this ecosystem or ones that there's some sort of competitive angle to it. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, we just take a customer centric first philosophy with it and we're going to let the customer choose like, hey, the companies may compete on these products and may try to build it better than the other person. But at the end of the day, we're really supportive of our customers choosing whatever technologies that they want to choose. If a company wants to use Clavio as their CDP, like awesome, we, we have some really good functionality to support that and we think we're gonna get a lot of value for it. But there's also ones that have been like purpose-built CDP and, and what would be like one definition of that. And they've been doing it for a decade and they do it really well. And they may have some functionality that Clavio doesn't have. Um, so, hey, how, how do we get an integration uh, together here? So you could get the best of both worlds. You could get the best of the CDP that fits the definition that you need. Clavio has our offering and our in our strengths that uh, maybe they add any value to them, but how do we connect those things? And so um, big, um, I'm a little bit biased here, but big believer <laughs> in the integration and connecting these platforms. And um, I think it makes us better too. Iron sharpens iron. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the merchants are going to win um, because they're going to go with the winners um, in that space. And by building these integrations, if one person does one thing really well, and the other person does the other thing, you still make it seamless to use those two platforms. And then, hey, you, you compete on the product side of things, but ultimately it's the merchant who's going to pick the winner. I'm uh, super quick question. Have you run into any um, circumstances where a client is asking for like a, a data integration between their CDP and Clavio and been met with resistance from the, the CDP platform that they were using? Or is it typically, do you find typically that, you know, the others in the ecosystem are willing to take that same approach? Yeah. Um, for the most part, people are had the same philosophy as us. Yeah. Um, there's a spectrum with that. I, I don't run into too many people who put up a, a firm stance against it. Sometimes, you know, a salesperson might get a little bit defensive because they see a risk with the customer. Hard to avoid those things from happening. So you see a little bit of that. But most of the partners that, you know, you, when you go in the directory and you, if they're listed on our website, they, they do really well. Um, so we typically find the solution. And at the end of the day, the the merchant's going to get what they need. Um, and we're going to be strong advocates for that. And we'll go to bat for them. Awesome. Yeah. I like to think that we take a very, very mm-hmm. similar approach here in our philosophy to, to go into market with partners. And I think 
there's no better way to put it uh, at a high level than like a customer centric approach, which is what you're mentioning. That's it. And like, it'll like, we'll have direct competitors that like we compete with a lot um, and they'll have an integration into us. And maybe they're not the ones that we put on their website, but if something goes down about that integration, like I prioritize that heavily because I know our customers use it and our customers are using them for one product and using us for another. Like we take that approach and ultimately, yeah, we would love to have the complete business there, but if the customers need it, then we prioritize it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Okay. Shifting gears a little bit, but I'm, I'm very curious now. I didn't plan on uh, kind of including this in, in the retention piece, but given that Clavia was founded as a database company, um, that to me screams like uh, retention first, or at least retention was top of mind when it was founded, because a lot of times when you're acquiring new customers, you don't have a lot of information on them, right? Um, the the CDP aspect and like having a holistic 360, 360 customer view comes after they've entered a brand's, a brand's ecosystem, right? You're capturing all of this data around them. So um, before we get into Clavia specifically, I'm curious um, how you think about retention and uh, what the most you know important drivers of it. And then I'd love to get into um, how Clavio uh, thinks about retention as well. Yeah, totally. So yeah, retention is a hot topic right now. <laughs> Very hot, term yeah. is uh, retention is the new acquisition. We're not um, we're not mad about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it makes our tools really important. But um, I could also tie in how like how I view retention can can help on the acquisition front too. But yeah. um, the way I see it, I mean, it's growing in importance. I think everybody knows the acquisition isn't as uh, as easy as it used to be. I'm not saying it was easy before, but it's getting more challenging. Um, to to drive traffic, you can't just like throw money at the problem like you used to. Um, and so in, in a cost effective way. And so really generating as much as you can um, with your customers that you have right now is super important. And so the retention piece, I think like when I think retention, I think, oh, how do you keep people around? But I think the way to think about it is how do you thrive with those mm-hmm. customers that have come in? Um, how do you build those relationships. Like, yeah, retention, like somebody might have a challenge with shipping. How do you retain that customer after a challenge? But then those that have a good experience, how do you continue to grow them? Um, And not just grow them, but how can you help them feed the funnel? So like, yeah, how can we bring them back to buy something or upsell them? There's those opportunities, but it's also, how do I get them to leave a review? So then now your website has UGC on it that increases conversion rates on your website. How do you get them to refer in their friends or be a micro influencer for you? Um, all those things can be back at the top of the funnel. So like retention is a big part of this. Let's keep those customers around. So let's thrive with those customers and use them to help feed that top of the funnel, which is becoming more and more difficult. Amazing example. And when you were yeah. talking about that, I thought... Um... I thought about our like our founding story at Maloma. Maloma was founded, to your point, Dan, exactly, based on 85% of customers will not return after one bad shipping experience. So like that was the problem that we set out to solve. Yeah. It's a huge problem. But the initial thought wasn't like, let's turn shipment tracking into a revenue channel, which is what it's developed into. The initial thought was just let's keep those customers. Over yeah. time, it's morphed into, okay, we figured out that we can keep them based on these proactive and branded notifications that we're sending. But 
What about product recommendations based on what you've already purchased? To your yeah. point, uh, in terms of turning retention into an acquisition channel, what about making sure that on our for our subscribers in the post-purchase experience, we they're already subscribed. We don't need them to subscribe again. Let's push them down a funnel to refer a friend because we know they're loyal fans. So it's creating this flywheel, right, between retention and acquisition um, that I don't think has, like I said, like even for us, it wasn't the first thought. The first thought was just, let's keep customers. Now it's morphed into growth through those customers. Absolutely. I, I think it's something that people are starting to come around to now um, a little bit more in the past of not separating out your typical transactional strategies with your marketing strategies. And the, the use case I talk about a lot with shipping is like, Yes, when somebody has three shipping delays, like let's notify them, let's keep them in the loop. And there's a whole that's the kind of the retention side of things. Um, because I think at, at this point with supply chains, people are pretty used to uh shipping delays <laughs> at this point. I think yeah. what they don't like is surprises when it comes to it. Like, where is that package? Oh, it's been delayed. Why don't you tell me? I think that's the big thing. People want to avoid the surprises. So that helps on the retention side of things. But then for those who didn't, like, what do you? When you know somebody had a really good shipping experience, what are you doing from that? So when you like one of my examples in terms of LTV, whether that's revenue or being at the top of the funnel, I mentioned reviews. Yep. And so like something you could do in Clavia, this is something like we pride ourselves on in terms of like intertwining the data is it's pretty common for somebody to have a flow that's asking for a product review. Traditionally, it's like two weeks after somebody purchased something on Shopify and the order was fulfilled. Yeah. But that wasn't when it was delivered. That doesn't take into account what may have happened um, along the way. A lot can happen between, hey, the order is packed up and, and being sent out and it arrives to a doorstep. So let's get a little bit smarter. Let's mm -hmm. use that from our integration um, to trigger this not two weeks after the order was purchased, but after we know that the order had arrived. That's, hey, maybe let's split out those who had more than one shipping delay during that process. Let's let's bring in that retention message for them. Those who have the streamlined message, perfect. Let's do a review request. But actually, let's go ahead and make sure that they didn't return the product. That's that's not a great oh, yeah. They return the product. Mm -hmm. um, do they have a ticket open with their customer support? We have integrations with Gorgeous and Zendesk. Um, helps out other platforms that can like pull in. Are they upset about something? Really bad time to ask for a product review. Really good way <laughs> to get a one-star review. So being really intentional and smart. And, and it's not necessarily like, oh, you don't want feedback or, or like one-star reviews are the worst thing in the world. But you want to just avoid those tone-deaf messages too. Like it doesn't feel good as a consumer when... I'm being asked to leave a product review when I haven't even had the package where I returned it or I'm talking to customer support about an issue I'm trying to work through. So just being really intentional about those things, intertwining that data from all your different tech stack, because then you can generate more five-star reviews. Now you know who could potentially be a VIP customer. So now it's like, hey, do you want to sign up for a subscription on Recharge um, and try to get the recurring revenue from them? Would you like to join our loyalty program? That, that's a great thing to check out. Or like, hey, are you pulling in how many 
Instagram followers they have from a platform like Gatsby um, on the influencer side of things. Can we now automate you into a flow to help enable you to share and get rewarded for sharing a positive experience? I think that's an overlooked um, area right now to where the paid media on social is a little bit more difficult to do. Influencer has been around for a long time, but with really good data and automation, can you really empower a micro influencer platform? Sure. And all this is derived from the shipping notification um, that came right. in and it delivered and just being really intentional and personalized and heard. And, and I think that's a key theme when we think about retention and thriving customers, just speak to them based off their experience. So if they want to be heard, they want to be felt. And if you have a lot of customers, it's hard to do that one-on-one. So just being really smart and intentional about those messages you're sending out, intertwining as many different inputs as you can, just to speak to them as close to one-on-one as you can. Yeah. I love that you brought that up, Dan, like the, especially the data and walking through all the different applications of where you can use that data, like you said, for reviews all the way to subscription programs and even micro influencers. And I actually recently um, got a shipment email and we we chatted about this. We had Olipop on the podcast as well, and it was through their emails. And so I think Gatsby is pretty similar to, have you heard of Bounty? It's yes. like, yeah, yeah. okay. Okay. So yeah. I, I'm not, I've, about them. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't ever like you like seen Gatsby or seen their software, but it sounds pretty similar. I think bounty is more like just for TikTok maybe, but um, I love that you can bring in, like, I, I haven't heard the use case of being able to bring in, like, look at a buyer's Instagram following or social media following, and then being able to like put them in a different, um, different experience based off of those shipment notifications. I think that's a really cool application that if you set it up right, like it, it's, it adds to the flywheel, right? Like it, it adds more and it creates, you know, your starting point of like more UGC and then being able to have say, uh, I know on the bounty side of things, like you agree to a brand using your content on their page, right? Or like their website. So it just like streamlines kind of that process so that it's like, oh, you know, this influencer who's really good at making drinks or whatever their um, their like category or expertise is in, they can then, you know, be m- like compensated or motivated to continue associating through associating with your brand and then sharing it with their following as well. Exactly. And and it's a splitting of people out too, because if you have a celebrity who comes or is it just somebody who, for whatever reason, has like a massive following, right. you're probably going to want to speak to them a little bit different than the person who has 200 followers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then it's like, hey, yeah, if a giant influencer comes through the door, I want to divert them to a different message or just like one-on-one direct relationships. Like you can do those type of things. But even somebody with 200, like if like cumulatively, if you combine all those people, like I think that they could be more impactful than the macro influencer because, um, hey, like on a per person basis, that's going to be difficult to unlock, but combined, you could get really impactful. And I say the other thing is too, like those people aren't used to being able to be like, kind of play their role as an influencer. It could be fun. I, I have friends who do this stuff every once in a while it comes up. But I think most importantly, oftentimes those are the people who are most passionate about your brand. They want to go out of their way for it. They're having fun with this. They want to share their experience. And so um, it really just allows the the automation for that to provide those experiences to the smaller folks, um, while also diverting those that you need the one-to-one conversation for somebody who really poses a really large opportunity with the large following. Mm -hmm. I love that distinction too. It's really cool. 
Yeah, like so many good use cases, Dan, that you just described based on one <laughs> one <laughs> event that you're. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It, it, I think a lot of it is. Um, I mean, again, I'm biased. I'm an integrations guy. This is what I do. But <laughs> I, th I think a lot of people are thinking like one to one with these relationships. Like, yeah. how do I send a message about shipping through Clavio? Um, but it's like, no. How do I how do I intertwine everything? Everything in my tech stack. Let's get them integrated. They build off of each other. They complement each other. So one thing I'm curious about. This is a little off the cuff, but. Um the flows that you just walked through like four or five different use cases that would require four or five different flows within Clavio. Is that something that like, if a brand is listening to this episode and they're like, oh my God, I love that UGC use case, or I love that reviews use case. Um, should they go to the Clavio team about that? Should they go to their reviews or, or their Malomo, you know, their order tracking solution about that flow specifically? And is there a world in which Clavio builds like a flow library that has you know, even if it's partner built flows or, um, you know, even starting with just some preset flows, maybe you already have that. I'm, I'm ignorant in this regard. So I'd love yeah. to know how tactically our, our listeners can maybe put some of this into motion. Really good question. So yeah, because all these ideas are great, but like, how do you actually? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it's easier said than done. But we do make it pretty easy. Mm -hmm. uh, takes a little bit of work, and like you, you have to block off some time to figure this stuff out. But uh, it isn't too difficult. And so we do have some pre-built flows, but those are built off of I'm trying to not get too much into the details here. But the, the base of integrations that Clavio has built, um, what we're working on is going to it's going to take a good amount of time, um, but is that for any third-party developer like you all, um, and or you know we have 220 third-party integrations right now. They aren't able to submit flows into our flow library, but that is something that we are working on. Is the number one thing I advocate for, um, and I was just in a meeting earlier today talking about it. Um, so we're, we're we're working towards it. Um, we're getting there, but right now they do have to be set up manually. Um, but when you install the integration, um, the data will start to flow in. You can see it in your activity feed within Clavio, or if you go to like your segment builder or a flow trigger, those will be in there. Um, if you do an integration, give it like five minutes because those like events actually need to happen to see if you claim your account, but uh, just give it a day or so. Um, but you could go in there. I would say a lot of our top partners have built out really good content on the data that gets sent to over um, and how to build it out in flows. And hey, you may need to piece together some things of get the help set article about how to build the flow and get the help center article of the data that a partner is passing into Clavio, kind of combining those. Um, some partners have already done that, um, but that's your best use case. If you um, do have a customer success manager with Clavio, they can bounce ideas off for you on this, uh, but ultimately um, just diving in there and setting up these flows. Um, but when you go to that drop-down trigger, I'm sure if you're a Clavio customer using flows, you got in there and do like Shopify checkout. Um, if you type in shipment, you'll you'll see shipment delivery in there um, if you have an integration. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I know one thing I think that we sort of um, pride ourselves on is like, we'll actually go into our clients' Clavio instances and drop in yes. our pre-built templates and flows. And like, that's pretty much that's pretty much plug and play at this point because they're, like you said, pre-built. So um, we just lean on the brands to help us, you know, do the branding. And, you know, if you want to drop something a little bit more marketing focused in the very bottom, um, uh, can't be much obviously, but, um, you know, a call out or whatever, um, 
we help them with that sort of strategy, but also the the implementation. Um, and I think that a lot of our partners have have ended up doing the same. Obviously, in a it, it's not a it's I don't think it's a major pain point. I'm not in CS. <laughs> so I don't know if I can speak for Cat and her team, but um, I do know that like I love the idea of a flow library over time, and it's even something that we're thinking about at Malomo is building out like pre built Clavio flows in our platform, kind of like a step by step guide to how you can do unique things, like you mentioned, um, to drive uh, whether it's repeat purchases or UGC or acquisition through this retention channel, but, uh, through like a refer a friend or something like that. Yeah. Love it. We appreciate your team leading in and, and getting this done for our customers. Um, okay. You, uh, you did a great job of thinking through, I think live, uh, as far as I can tell, that was totally off the cuff. Um, you know, use cases just based on one shipment notification, which is a transactional message. And so I'm curious if you thought about, are there other ways in which um, our our merchants in the Shopify ecosystem can be leveraging transactional messaging um, to uh, drive what what we've now defined as retention, which is not just keep customers, but grow through those customers. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I think those different events of uh, segments they can create will just give you a little bit more glimpse into their customer journey. Um, and so I think just in general, like you can apply that to any advanced segmentation that you have. Mm-hmm. I do think something that is overlooked though is the the multi-channel approach. And, um, and that is like a, a big thing there, making sure that those messages that people need to hear about, like are using SMS and email combined um, within these flows. And that's one thing that we make super easy is like these sophisticated flows that I'm talking about. You build up these triggers, but you drag over the email in the flow builder, <laughs> drag over SMS, it's ready to go. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to use the right channel for what that customer prefers. Um, but then also email and SMS are a little bit different. It's not it's not just uh, one or the other. Um, it's a little bit of both. Like. I'll give you an example, um, is if you're going to let me know that, hey, the package arrived, it's on your doorstep, which you could do with our integration. Um, an yep. email for that is great. I want that with SMS, though. And we and we have data to support that the majority of people actually want these um, messages and SMS, too. I'll tell you what, like, porch pirates being a thing, you know, people I, coming around taking stuff off the doorstep, I want to get before somebody else does. Um, or another example is um, my manager, um, she would get shipment of fresh meat sent to her. But she lives in Austin, Texas, which is very <laughs> in Austin, Texas. And she forgets about the package for eight hours, it spoils and it just ruined her orders of any perishables. If she got that SMS, that wouldn't have happened and she unsubscribed um, from that subscription because of it. So there's a lot of different use cases for that, but think about SMS as, hey, do they enjoy working with your brand through SMS? I think it's an amazing way to build a really good relationship, especially when you're doing what we're talking about, like building these advanced segments, being really thoughtful about their customer journey, what they're experiencing, what they may not be experienced to send the right message, but maybe even more importantly, avoid sending the wrong message. You can do that. Um, but if you send the right message, there's nothing like SMS to make sure you're getting it in front of your brand. And honestly, like my favorite brands that have on SMS, because I, I, care about them and I feel heard and I I see it all the time. And with emails, I check my emails. I see them with my favorite brands, but I miss a couple. Um, 
I don't miss an SMS. So think about those really important ones to be sending. You know, I think on the transactional side, I think that's the easiest way for anybody who's like a little bit wary of, you know, SMS is a newer channel, hasn't been around. People might be a little intimidated by it. Going the transactional route is a really good first step. I bet you're going to see that your customers really like it. Um, and then you expand the use cases from there. Yeah, that's that's a really great insight into like the omni-channel approach. Our uh, mutual friend, Brandon from Electric, likes to talk yeah. about SMS and refer to it as like, this is like, you are messaging me on the same device that I get texts from my grandma. So like, it's <laughs> relevant to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's when I think the data becomes really, really important. What are you sending them? And are you being really thoughtful about what you're saying? But yeah, Brandon's a smart guy. Knows what <laughs> I have uh, a question for you, Dan, real quick. Um, yeah. cause you said like, I love that you said you want to make sure obviously that you're sending the right message, but that you're not sending the wrong one. Yeah. So what would you say? Like, I feel like we talk about like, oh, the right messages, like you just said to start out our transactional messages. Cause across the board, like who uh, you ordered something, you want to know about it, right? Like you made that decision. Yeah. Um, and so what would you say? Like, do you have any examples top of mind that of something that would be like the wrong message to send to someone? Um, that's a really good point. I think it's, it's kind of similar to that reviews mm-hmm. um, situation of just like, do you, I mean, if somebody has subscribed to SMS, they're probably like a really interested customer of yours, potentially a good one, but even your best customers are going to run into some challenges. So like, um, if I have an open ticket with support, like I, I probably don't want a ten percent off for your new spring collection. Um, probably not the right time there because I might be frustrated with your brand at that time. And your customer support and gorgeous may save me as a customer and keep me around. But if I'm pissed off about something and I and I get that SMS at an untimely time, I may unsubscribe, and that was consequential. You don't want to do that. So filtering out those, who's going to be a bad experience and you go and build in these segments and filter those out. I think that can be really helpful. Um, being thoughtful about the promotion. So, um, Hey, if you're, if you're going to send a discount, make sure it's a good one. Um, and don't, I'm not a big believer in sending somebody an SMS every day too. I think there's a frequency and a respect that you need to have for somebody's text inbox. Um, and be really thoughtful and, and just like intentional. There's something really specific to be said. I'm not going to send you the same message, um, every day about it. I'm not a big believer in that. Um, so on the gorgeous thing too, I mean, if, uh, on that topic too, I think a big thing when you send SMS to know what they're saying back to get back to those people quickly, because that could also be a poor experience with SMS, not just like what you're sending with them, because you can send such great stuff, but then also taking care of the reply. And so we have an integration with uh, gorgeous and also Zendesk. So if somebody replies to a Clavio SMS, that gets sent into gorgeous or Zendesk for a customer support to immediately follow up with. Really good value add, because not everybody's in Clavio constantly looking for those replies, um, but that is set up logistically in those help desks. And so we enable that form. Yeah, uh, I could I could so see that being something that like if someone wasn't on top of it or like didn't have it automated to pop up, like it could just totally like just be ignored or not even seen of like a reply um to SMS. That's a great point. Yeah, that's an awesome use case. Um I wanna I wanna shift focuses. I, I think that the SMS thing at Clavio is phenomenal, by the way. Um I think one of the things that, you know, sticks out is just the the data first approach and being able to um, easily orchestrate across channels, you know, um, with the great email infrastructure that you already 
have in now adding uh, the the SMS channel. Um, I know that that the customers that we've set up with SMS on our end uh, via Clavio have been seeing great results and and very happy with it. So congrats on that. Um, shifting focus, uh, we've got about five to ten minutes left. So I want to get we're we're coming up to the holidays, craziest time of the year. I, this is my first uh, first holiday season in the Shopify ecosystem. Oh, so okay. uh, I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what to expect. I don't know if any, I don't know if like the 20 year pros in this ecosystem know what to expect this year. Um, so what are you guys doing at Clavio and maybe even you specifically, Dan, in your role uh, to prepare for Black Friday? And are there any cool trends that are sort of sticking out to you in terms of what brands are doing to maximize the potential of this holiday season? Yeah, um, really good point. Uh, really good question. It's, I think it's just getting ahead of it, um, at least in my experience. If you do this right, then like your marketing side of things, it's like it should be taken care of here soon um, because a lot of it should just be automated and ready to go. And so we're really pushing our merchants to like dive into the account, set up these flows. If there's use cases that we're talking about here or you're seeing elsewhere that you want to intertwine, you can set that up now because I know in other aspects of the business, it's going to be absolutely crazy. <laughs> so like full <laughs> orders, those type of things, like things are going to happen. So um, as much work that you could do early on to just set that up, uh, set it and forget it, um, if you will, um, do that in Clavio. That's the big thing that we're per- uh, pushing people to do. But the other thing is too, uh, I'm really advocating or we're really advocating for our merchants. Um, you know, when we talk about retention as a new acquisition, yeah. like there's not just the focus on, hey, how can I drive a lot of net new business from this, but how can I use this as an opportunity to continue to grow my business later on? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really interesting time to, un- and it, like the hardest time to understand your customers and why they're there. Um, Because it's gift giving. And so that's when it's interesting. This is why I'm an app for my survey partners. When you think of somebody like an Octane AI or a Jebit or a Typeform or like a fairing for a post purchase, like all of those can help you understand who your customer is, what what are they really doing there? You know, there's a lot of platforms that are really good to help. Hey, they're looking at this, this, and this product. So they're likely to like this other one, but are they looking for themselves or are they looking for their mom or, or for the right. girlfriend and it's gift giving. So understanding who that person is and who they're shopping for, because it's really helpful for after Black Friday or Monday, you're trying to grow a whole TV. Now, if that is somebody who purchased for themselves, you probably have a playbook. You know how to like try to like grow LTV from your existing customers. Um, but if it's not, then uh, you're actually not, probably trying to sell to the person who you just who just bought your product, but right. the person who did is bought two. So can instead of asking, like if I buy something for my mom, like instead of asking me to join a loyalty program for a company that does earrings or something, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not your customer for a loyalty program on earrings, but my mom may love it. And so are you giving me a clear path to invite my mom? Like, oh my mom, you love those earrings. Hey, here's that company in case you like more. Um, that's a really good opportunity. Or like, if you know, if you can ask, Hey, who are you buying for? And I say, my mom versus my girlfriend. Now, you know, do I care about Valentine's day or do I care about mother's day sales? Mm-hmm. And then you can have an outreach to me coming up towards Mother's Day of, hey, Dan, did your mom like those earrings? Uh, we have 20% off coming up from Mother's Day. Check out the, this new collection. I'm like, awesome. Like, that could be super helpful. So just 
as clearly as you can understand why they're there, not just the products that they're looking at and the upsell stuff, but the truly why or a seasonality aspect too. Another example I talk about is just like, um, like with, with sporting goods, like are they buying a beanie because it's getting cold and we're going into winter and they're walking to the work with it? Or are they buying a beanie because it's ski season coming up? Mm-hmm. And if you can understand that, then when you're speaking to them, whether it's product recommendations or just the content of your emails, are you talking about ski season and skiing and, and whatever product you sell that helps support that? Um, or do you have like nice dress gloves because they're walking to work, they're cold and their fingers are going to get cold. Let's try to cross sell this advice. So understanding exactly what they're there for can help kind of tailor those and I'm going to give specific examples, but, you know, people can connect the dots on, on their own use cases. But I think it's a really interesting opportunity, challenging opportunity, but um, I think there's some really good programs out there to help. Yeah, that is awesome. I'm loving all these use cases because they're like very tangible and real. And um, I think that I think that it's very much in line with a lot of the things we've been talking about, both internally, um, externally with our partners and externally with our uh, clients as well which is basically like brands spend all of this money around acquisition around Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Normally they do see a very significant uptick in new customer acquisition. But to your point, why are the customers there? And what are you doing to make sure that they come back? And understanding the the dynamic between um, or the variance between your customers and your consumers and targeting based on, you know, it's like McDonald's, right? Like, <laughs> um <laughs> But you're not you're not necessarily marketing to the mom who's buying the kid McDonald's. You're making sure that the kid has a fantastic experience and wants to come back and and begs and cries to come back. <laughs> so the mom doesn't have a choice. Annoys their mom enough <laughs> to get them back. <laughs> right. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of a lot of similarities there and some great use cases, Dan. Um, okay, I didn't do this at the top. So it's my fault, but uh, we always like to to ask some personal questions. So one or two things that you're uh, excited about in your personal life before we wrap up here. Oh, um, I'm excited in my personal life. Um, I'm getting golf lessons. So I'm excited. I, I have hope I won't still suck at golf afterwards. We'll see. I've, I've <laughs> I've never tried so hard to be so terrible at something. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm really working on that. Um, we'll, we'll see if it pans off. It probably won't, but you know, I'll go in optimistic. I feel uh, your pain on that. Yeah. And then the yeah, second one, uh, I think I'm going to Vietnam and planning a trip in spring. I'm very excited. I, I've been there before, wow. but um, my girlfriend and I were going to go back the third week of March, 2020. And um, that didn't end up happening uh, for, we all know why, but I still have the itinerary on my refrigerator nice. and I think this year might be the year that we make it over there. That's wow. So you're going back for a second time. So I, I imagine that you recommend it. I love it. Um, yeah. One of my favorite countries I've ever been to is fortunate to spend a month out there. Um, a few months in Southeast Asia, just a great part of the world in general, but really love Vietnam. So trying to get back there. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I can't relate to that one, but the first one I got golf lessons <laughs> this year for the first time. I, go? Broke, I broke 90. So I would say, Hey, there you that's go. good. I don't know much about golf, but I know that's good. So that's good to me. It's all about as a perspective game. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's all relative. It's all relative. Um, but the funny thing is, is I took one lesson. I bought six uh, when I bought new golf clubs, which I also got this year. And my golf game just was in the dumpster, was a dumpster fire. <laughs> 
for most of the summer because of that, that one lesson like changed everything. And I couldn't figure out what he was trying to tell me to do. So I haven't been back, but I've got five lessons to go <laughs> this, this winter. So I'll get through, hopefully. <laughs> then you get worse before you get better with golf lessons. So let's hope right. this one part of that comes true for you. Let's hope. Um, Okay. Last one. Um, you've obviously had a, a pretty awesome career so far doing awesome things at Clavio. Uh, what's one tip or trick you have or a resource that you have, uh, that's helped you, uh, get to where you are. And that could be, you know, you could take that from like a career advice standpoint. You could take that from a, a merchant, you know, uh, that we serve standpoint, wherever you want to go with it. Yeah. Um, where'd it go? Um, I think, I think I'll, I'll give like a high level one and just like yeah. staying curious, ask a lot of open ended questions, um, be nice to people. I feel like that goes a long way. Um, lead with empathy, um, big believer in that stuff. Um, and act selfishly. I, I, I do think that the, the nice guy wins in the long run. Um, when you look <laughs> at it, um, I think like a little bit more tactical on the career side of things is something I talk a lot about that helped me get into a job that I love, um, is, I talked to a lot of people who were earlier on in their careers that are like support like I was or in a sales role or a, a customer success role that want to do like product or um, want to get into a role like mine or just want to grow up higher. But um, just getting as close as you can to those people you see in those roles. The biggest the advice that I got, which is really good, is whose job do you want at this company and just go befriend them. Yeah. show early signals that you're interested and if it's you're trying to get a product role somewhere just like find the top product manager put some time on their calendar ask to join their sprint planning sessions those type of things um i just think as, as close as you can get like try to get a side project associated with it so when you go to that interview or you apply for the job opening that opens up they remember you oh they express early interest in this role. Um, they're interested and you're not just like coming in as like a, a cold call um for a job um so I love how we, the theme of this podcast was like macro level, like strategy. And then every time we were able to get down to like the tactical level and actually implementation. So uh, I like the tactical stuff. So I, I hope somebody got something hundred percent. Yeah, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining. Um, excited to get it live. I think probably in the next few weeks. So um, we'll obviously do a big promotion around that when it happens, but thanks so much for joining Dan and, uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks.